0: as U.S. automakers watch their sales rise. On today's show, we hear how the UAW is doing as union president Dennis Williams is our guest on AutoLine this week.
1: And now, here's your host, John McElroy
2: want to thank you all for joining us on Autoline this week, where we're going to be talking about the state of organized labor in the American automotive industry. Where does it stand right now today, and compared to especially eight years ago during the big collapse? And we've got somebody who really knows this cold, because he is the president of the United Auto Workers. Dennis Williams, thanks so much for joining us on Autoline this week. Also joining us today, Brent Snavely from the Detroit Free Press, and Mike Whalen from the Detroit News, and great having you guys on board as well
0: thank Jim. Good to be here. Dennis,
2: we've got a million questions to ask sure. you here. Let's start with the VEBA, and this was, of course, uh, all the health care costs that were wrapped up by GM Ford and then Chrysler right. and handed to the BM, or to the UAW with billions and billions of dollars and say, here, you guys take care of the health care costs. I'm curious how it stands today, and, and one of the reasons I ask this is, if you look at a bunch of other corporations, even states and municipalities, counties, they face much the same problem. So, how's the VIBA doing?
3: You know, the Viva is doing very well. You know, I we, we think back when we first started the VIBA, we were about 73% funded, I believe. And, and today, uh, anywhere from uh, 95 to 105% funded. So, you, so you guys have invested we that we have money wisely? we've re, we restructured a lot, we fought through uh, how best to deliver the kind of benefits that people who worked so hard for were promised and we've kept that commitment and
0: uh, we're very happy with the VIBA right now. Hmm. And, in, and in fact it, the VIBA manages benefits for retirees and it's done well enough that you've looked at at times potentially shifting active workers over into the VIBA. That didn't happen in the last yeah. round of contract talks you think it ever will? Well, the, con- the concept was never
3: to shift active workers into the VEBA. The concept was to take the active workforce uh, and use the viba's knowledge along with the uh, numbers of people in the active workforce and collectively uh, look at a-, a way that you could leverage those numbers as well as uh, uh, look at the structure of our health care. So we were. were our, our intent was never to merge them into the Viva. Brand. It was the idea to, to uh, bring it together,
1: and that was part of the healthcare pool that I know that was brought up during the last negotiations yeah. to actually get all three of the companies, so you have more of a buying power. Yeah. What went wrong with that? I know.
3: I, well, I, I took I take the blame for that. I mean, uh, you know, we I had been talking to people uh, inside. But uh, not thinking that no one was talking to our membership. And, you know, as president of the union, I take that responsibility. Uh, we should have educated our membership more and uh, better than what we did. Uh, the concept's still there. Concepts is still a good concept, and it would help us a great deal. Uh, but, you know, we've learned a lesson by that, and we're regrouping, and you've got to educate your membership first, and
2: I didn't do that. The the Detroit Three automakers also have pension liabilities, which they argue is holding down the price of their stock because Wall Street looks at this uh, big liability in the future. Would you ever consider doing something Along the lines that they did with their white collar employees, where they sort of offloaded their pension costs? Uh, Not under
3: my term, we won't. (laughs) Okay, Okay. for one thing, you know, I I don't believe that's uh, holding their stock prices down. I think there's much more in that. And uh, the other thing is, uh, you know, they're they're in a uh, cash positive uh, position, and uh, there's no need to look at that at this time.
1: Hmm. Dan Eckerson, when he was CEO of GM, said that he would think about bringing that to the blue collar workers when uh, I think during their shareholder meeting, what would be so wrong with that to kind of- Well, he had his opportunity, he was there
3: yeah. and he didn't do it and so uh, uh, he probably rethought about it, you know, but uh, I, I don't see a need for it and I, I would really have to study something like that. Is it in the best interest of the, uh, the membership or uh, does it really uh, help both the members and position the company? Uh, Right now, I don't see no
0: evidence of that, nor have I studied it either, to be honest with you. Uh, It hasn't been brought to me. In in the last round of contract negotiations, you more or less achieved the key goal, which was to uh, find a pathway to eliminate the Tier 2 wages. Huge achievement. Um, I'm wondering how you look at that contract now. It's uh, almost a year later. Um, how, How do you feel it positions the UAW for the future? Well, first
3: first of all, uh, you know, when you look at the contracts and the negotiations, uh, they were contentious without a doubt, right? Uh, I think that uh, the second agreement that Chrysler ratified by 77%, I think General Motors 59% and Ford, I believe was 51 point something percent. So it isn't like it was huge margins right there. Uh, but you surveyed a membership today, And, uh, you know, uh, now there's uh, 20% dissatisfaction, right? Or, you know, and I doubt very seriously if 20% is dissatisfied with the uh, finances of it. It might be something else. Uh, So from our membership standpoint, it positioned us very well, right? Uh, As far as for the UAW, I think it strengthened us. And, And in fact, we got more calls from the transnational plants that are unorganized because of that labor agreement than we had in many, many years. So overall, I think uh, it turned out positive for everybody. You, there's a balance, right? You've got a balance between investment in the plant so our membership has jobs, and then you've got a balance on how do you get them uh, wage rates that are equal to uh, everybody that works there doing the same work. So I think we found that ba- balance, and, uh, it, but it took a lot of work, a lot of studying to do that.
1: You mentioned talks being contentious, yeah. and obviously- Well, with both myself. our membership but and uh, the company. That's right? what I was gonna say. I mean, <laughs> it really seemed like there was almost a disconnect between the union leadership and the members. And I was down in Toledo when Norwood Jewell was down there mm. giving the details of the first agreement, yeah. because the FCA workers actually voted it down. And a lot of that contentiousness came from the skilled trades as well, mm-hmm. who really thought that they could veto the contract completely if their bargaining unit turned it down. I mean, how? when you look back on that, could you have done something better to communicate with the workers and particularly the skilled trades because they thought that they could veto the contracts, but then turned out that they just couldn't.
3: Well, uh, the Constitution doesn't allow anybody just to veto a contract. Con- you know, Constitution, it's the overall vote that determines whether uh, the common areas of the contract is ratified. Then you focus on the areas of skilled trades and then say, what is the problems in, within the skilled trades that you need to address? And I think we did that uh, uh, both at uh, Chrysler and General Motors uh, and as well as Ford. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, I don't know how they got that idea that they could veto it. That that's not the design of our constitution. Uh, as far as communications, I think that we all recognize that that first rollout uh, was sloppily done. We all agree with that norwood would tell you we could have done a much better job and i'm sure he has and uh, we all recognized our weaknesses in that area uh, and the other thing is i think we got a little caught off guard uh, uh, from uh, the percentage of people that were uh, uh, getting their information from social media or just talk although i got to tell you social media didn't play as big a role as we thought it did we you know because we studied it uh, so we got to get better at, at how we communicate uh, with our members, and uh, we're working on that even today.
2: Dennis, there's so much excitement in the automotive industry right now, a lot of uncertainty, too. We're seeing massive changes in the industry, all this autonomous cars, yeah. ride-sharing, you know, car-sharing and all coming in. What's your view of it? Because some people think that as cars get shared, we're not going to need as many cars, and that would absolutely have an impact on your membership.
3: Well, you know, I, I've heard a couple of different uh, twists to this. You know, the, you know the, does it actually broaden the base of people that use the car? Now the people that are elderly, can they actually drive longer? That's the other piece of it, right? So there, you know, we don't know what the impact's going to be, but it's here and it's going to stay. It's not going to go away. Uh, so we're following it and measuring it. And I got research department looking at it and saying, okay, what is this going to impact us in the future? And does it really bring sales of automobiles down? Or is, it, or is it going to constantly just go up? Or is it going to be leveled off? We don't know yet, but we're studying it. Uh,
0: you have to. You can't ignore that. Throughout the negotiations last year and yep. as you look forward, you have to be paying careful attention to Mexico and investment in Mexico. Um, so and you, you, you were able to achieve a pathway to higher wages in the last round of contracts. Do you have any concern that, that you won't get as much investment as you hope for uh, as, as the next couple years plays out? I, I think we'll get uh, a lot of, look, our, our uh,
3: plants are very productive. Uh, in fact, you know, if you look 10 years ago, we're actually 10 percent more productive than we were even 10 years ago. Uh, and that's a huge margin. And I, so I think the investment will come. I think the company recognizes that we have a very skilled labor force. Uh, and we have products that the American people want, uh, and even in negotiations as we are negotiating uh, investment into our plans, we are looking at the future vehicles as well as uh, the vehicles that are selling really hot today and There has to be a balance uh, you know of uh, how, how you bring investment and what kind of investment you make, and is the workforce at a skilled level that is uh, very skilled and high? Productivity, You know, that all counts. So I think there's going to be a lot of investment still here today. The problem we have with Mexico, there's so many problems there. Uh, the idea with uh, the uh, North American Free Trade Agreement was that not only were we going to have trading partners, we were going to have consumers. And what has not transpired is consumers in Mexico. Uh, they export vehicles from Mexico and they import them back into the United States. They don't really buy them. So until we had that reciprocal type of trade in that, uh, the, 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 you know, the Mexican worker, I think, makes uh, in the auto industry $8 an hour, which is about 15% of what a United Auto worker makes. And then if you look at parts, that's even worse. If you look at parts, the average parts uh, uh, a worker in the United States makes about 12 bucks an hour. You know, uh, and there's a $20 billion trade deficit, or gap between Mexico and the United States. So it's it's, it's huge and it's a huge problem.
1: And we're concerned about it. Would it help if a certain candidate built a wall? Or completely cut Wall is not off NAFTA, gonna stop
3: cars from coming over, or, 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 to order. or
1: completely cut yeah. off ties. Well, uh, Donald Trump has said that he would completely <laughs> renegotiate NAFTA, or even just cut ties completely. He hasn't really outlined how, but I mean, it, it seems like that you guys are on the same sentiment regarding Mexico, at least.
3: Now, I think it was your paper that reported that Donald Trump also said here in Michigan. That the way they do it is close plants here in Michigan and move them somewhere cheaper. Yes, it was. Yeah. And then go ahead and, and uh, make the workers take less money yeah. to build the same vehicles. That is not the
2: kind of president I want. <laughs> I want somebody that looks going to rise all tides, all boats. Dennis, talk about your involvement in the election then, yeah. because you know it, it's astonishing to see Donald Trump's rise. He's mm-hmm. defied all the experts who right. predicted he wouldn't even get to the New Hampshire primary. Now he's the Republican nominee. <laughs> uh, a lot of people think that he should have no chance whatsoever against Hillary Clinton. He very much does. No, sure. What's the role that you're going to play? Are you, your, your unions going to play in the election?
3: Well, right now we're, we're putting together uh, the information in our membership need to make that, that educated decision. And I think once they see the difference between the two candidates, the records, the history behind the two candidates, they'll vote for Hillary Clinton. Um, I watch with amazement like everybody else, I, you know, as a president of the UAW, but also somebody who's been very involved in politics most of my adult life. Uh, I watched the Republican debates, I now watch the Democratic debates, and I try to figure out the substance of the issues and the difference between the two parties, right? I couldn't do that with the Republicans this year. I mean, they talked about people's hands and uh, <laughs> talked about low energy and all this other stuff and never talked really about substance. And then I actually enjoyed the debates between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton because they talked about ed- education, infrastructure, dollars about putting people back to work. So that that was important to me and I think it's important to our organization. So. I was amazed, I, you know, that the Republicans ignored Donald Trump as long as they did. That was a huge mistake on their part.
1: But, then it did seem like in, one of the big surprises when we spoke last, at least, yeah. uh, earlier this year, was that a certain percentage, I think it was 20% of UAW members. 28% 28 28 28 earlier. percent yeah. supported Donald Trump. You yeah. said you feel that numbers come down. I mean, he seems to be resonating with yeah. almost Reagan Democrat style, yeah. Reagan Republican um, kind of well, style.
3: Well, I, I don't. I don't. I don't think it, I would compare it to a Reagan style, because if, if you remember right, when uh, Ronald Reagan came in and uh, the blue-collar worker actually uh, uh, went from Democrat to Republican, many of them, including our members, right, there was a Republican and in the independents that went along with that. Mm. Trump don't have that. Uh, Republicans are not, a lot of them aren't voting for Donald Trump, independents are not uh, uh, voting for Donald Trump right now, and our membership, when you look at it, uh, f- our first surveys was during the primary, 28%. We then sampled by uh, putting out a literature that uh, on, talk, on points, right, about each candidate, and that dropped uh, to 19%. We just did a recent poll, and it's up again to 25%. Uh, really? Okay. Yeah. So uh, it's about us educating our membership and giving them the, the tools to at least make the judgment. Uh, but he has not done any better than Romney or McCain did. So it's
0: interesting, and we follow it a lot. In fact, I think I drive my staff nuts about it. <laughs> How much are you talking to other unions? Because uh, it seems like it seems like the, the, the Trump's free trade NAFTA message resonates primarily with blue collar manufacturing yeah. workers. So I'm wondering if you're talking to you know, Leo Girard at US steel workers and, and coal miner unions, that sort of thing.
3: Yeah, I, I, think, that I think when you look at uh, the steel workers and they've been hit very hard with the steel industry and, uh, and I haven't spoke to Leo uh, lately or uh, Cecil from uh, the uh, mine workers. I have uh, spoke to Jim Hoffa and some of them. Uh, I think everybody's feeling the fact that you know, there, there's a level of mistrust about government, no matter who you are or where you go, white collar, blue collar, educated, high school education, or it doesn't matter, right? There's there's a mistrust. So here we are in election time and you're talking about to somebody that says, well, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna stop NAFTA. Well, I haven't seen a president that has the authority yet to stop a trade agreement once it's in place. I think what Hillary Clinton said was right that there is provisions within NAFTA that need to be addressed and changed. That's correct. A president can make that happen uh, with Congress behind him, right? So it's a matter about what are they saying and what is reality. Uh, Building a wall, can we build a wall? Absolutely. We can build anything, you name it. I mean, we've made airplanes and automobiles and uh, put a person, person on the moon, right? So we can build a wall. Is it realistic? Probably not. Is it gonna keep uh, trade from happening? Absolutely not. You know, there's gonna be gates to that wall. So it's not gonna affect trade. And then when you look at the statistics when it comes to uh, immigrants, actually there's less immigrants coming in this country today, uh, undocumented uh, immigrants than there has been for the last 10
0: years. So I'm not too sure if the rhetoric really measures up to the reality. To, to follow up briefly on the, 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 some things connected to this, the wall and Mexico and free trade, you know, th- there's also Canada in, in, mm-hmm. in North America, yeah. and, and Unifor may have, is in the midst of contract talks or may wrap them up very soon. Um, how, how, how do you watch and look at um, what, what Unifor is doing and the investments that they want to get? Do you view them as a competitor for North American investments or as an ally in the labor movement? Well, both. Okay. I mean, uh, Jerry and I
3: met Sunday. I uh, had a long talk, and uh, uh, Jerry is a very um, skilled negotiator, just as uh, the General Motors team is skilled negotiators, and I'm sure they'll work through it. Um, everybody whether it's within the United States, uh, Toyota, Honda, or any of them, they're all competitors, right? Uh, In general, Motors, Ford, and Chrysler compete against each other. Uh, We can compete against Canadian workers, right? But when it comes to organized labor and what we're trying to achieve to raise people's standard of living and give people dignity and safety in the workplace, we're all together, and we will continue to do that.
2: Dennis, there's uh, an amazing thing going on in the American automotive industry right now. Whenever I go, I don't care if, which car company it is, whether it's the domestics or uh, the imports, whether it's any of the supplier companies, everyone's complaining they cannot get the, the kind of skilled people that they need. I, I, I thought it was only engineers. and uh, No, it's absolutely as much of a problem on the factory floor. Yeah. What do we have to do to attract a new generation of workers who are willing to work in factories? And especially when it comes to skilled trades, which as you know right now, the United States faces a critical shortage of skilled trades people. These are some of the best paying factory jobs in the world. You you can make a decent living doing this stuff and yet we cannot get people interested in taking those jobs. What's it take? You know,
3: I I think uh, right now there's a lot of people uh, like Cindy Estrada, Jimmy Settles, and Norba Jewel all addressing this by doing training programs uh, and trying to get uh, people interested as well as uh, skill levels up. But in reality, our education system has to change. We, We still have an education that was based off the family farmer, and that's not true today you know uh, when you look at european and asian uh style education programs I, I think i think european style is probably the best way to go where they have actually i think they graduate from high school at 16 actually and then they uh, either go vocational or the uh, academic right field and i think we got to take more of an interest in that and years ago when i you know i hired in 1977 and I think it was 1979 or 1980, we started vocational programs within our communities to train people how to be machinist or uh, run a lathe or uh, actually read a blueprint, you know. Today, that's not taught. Vocational is not in school anymore. So we have to get back to some pretty basics as well advancement. Our, our education system, it's, there's nothing wrong with our teachers. We've got excellent teachers in this country. You got to give them the tools to teach and you got to have the right uh curriculum to teach and uh so i, I think we need to really think about this as not only as a community or a state but as a nation this is really important for all of us uh and i think that people uh doesn't you know you used to hire into the factories because that was a lifetime job and over the years people started saying you shouldn't be that loyal to companies and you got to think on a five-year thought process and i'm sure you've all heard it yourself right and my two children i got a 37 year old and a 40 year old they didn't think of work as lifetime or dedication Uh, in fact my oldest son and i had a conversation one time about why dad should i be dedicated to the company i work for they're not dedicated to me you know that never used to be when i worked for case i had pride in working for case i liked making that perfect weld i liked the fact that my cylinder or that valve worked and that's what we gotta get back to.
1: What about perception? John mentioned autonomous vehicles and so-called disruptors coming in, whether it be Tesla, Google, or even Apple. Um, What about the perception of the auto industry, and I mean also the perception of the union workers? Um, How can we actually change that, or does it need to change, in your opinion? I
3: I think it's, uh, you know, uh, I think that most the companies recognize, as well as we do, that we hire these people in But we don't ever explain to them where we were, where we are, and where we're going. And I think if you don't have engagement uh, with your employees and if we're not engaged with our UAW members explaining who we are and how
0: our role plays uh, representing them, we're missing a boat. And I think that's what's going on. And you just mentioned Case, and I think a lot of viewers might think of the UAW as only representing auto workers. Sure. <laughs> so I was wondering if you can touch on sort of, you, you know, your membership has declined uh, for many years, but then in recent years has rebounded. Um, so just give us an update of sort of where the UAW's going membership-wise, and, and, and then and where things stand in Volkswagen with the effort with Chattanooga.
3: Sure. Um- So we have um, about 143,000 of our members are in the auto sector, right? And if you break it down, uh, we represent uh, uh, Case New Holland, we represent Caterpillar, we represent John Deere, uh, Mack Truck, Freightliner, Navistar, uh, Volvo. You know, so and then uh, from there you we have higher education, uh, aerospace, and. so we're very diversified. I mean, I could go on and on and on with the number of people that we... Uh, I probably missed somebody, so somebody's going to get mad casinos. at Casinos. Yeah, casinos is huge. Thank you. Now, you saved me getting <laughs> letters. Uh, the casino. And then when you look at our growth right now, we have organizing drives in several of the transplants right now. Um, but our growth has been not only in the auto in the supplier network, Right the parts suppliers, but also growth in the casino and higher education. And we're growing about, uh, I would say between three and 4% annually, it looks like. So, you know, we're really diversified. We're growing in them sectors. And then when it comes to Volkswagen, we just won another court case and they just did another appeal. And that's wrong with our system. I mean, that, this is the only uh, place in the world, I think, well, that, of a democracy that actually, you can win an election and never get to the bargaining table. You know, uh, I imagine that would drive a congressman nuts if they got elected but couldn't get placed in
2: Congress. You know, so uh, we're Steve. We'll keep fighting it. Sure. We'll run, we hey, we're, we're down to about the last minute or so, but. <laughs> There's a huge shift in the American market, right? In fact, it's a global shift. Mm -hmm. People getting out of passenger cars and getting into crossovers, SUVs and the like. Uh, We're seeing a trend now of the automakers pushing all their passenger car production to Mexico. What do you think of this trend and how do you deal with it? Well, if you look
3: at the trend though, if you look at the smaller crossover, Uh, crossovers, right? Uh, And and, uh, if you look at the size of the crossovers and the convenience of it, I think that is the direction that the American public is going. And the fuel efficiency is remarkable today, right? Uh, I know I just drove a truck, and I won't name what company's truck (laughs) I drove, but it was 31 miles to the gallon. Hmm. Whoever thought Mm -hmm. that a truck would get that, right? So don't try to think of which one it is, okay? (laughs) Uh, But... uh, uh, you know, so I, I, think, I think there will be passenger cars, but I think at a lower level than, you know, as far as sales goes, than there are crossovers. I think uh, still SUVs, trucks, and crossovers is the market, yeah. and it will be for some
2: time. Yeah. You know. Well, with that, we're going to have to wrap this up. Dennis Williams, thanks so much for coming in and sharing for your thoughts me. with us. It's been terrific. And I want to thank uh, Brent and Mike here, too, for having joined in this discussion. And, of course, I want to thank all of you for having tuned in. And I hope you enjoyed this discussion as much as I did.